welcome back to another episode of the Turn Page Podcast. I have come back, Abhinish, with another book review, written by Edgar Allan Poe. But before we start, let's have a bit of a background. Excepting for a few, everybody has a heart beating with emotion and the named few have as we say hearts of stone or hearts without emotion why did i start with this the story i'm about to share with you is about how the emotions of a person can give away the game here the masquerading of a murder i am in fact talking about edgar allan poe's the tell tale heart the story of antagonism narrated by an unnamed unreliable narrator was first published in January 1843 in James Russell Lowell's The Pioneer one of Poe's most famous stories it is regarded as a classic gothic fiction so without any further ado let's begin with episode 2 The Telltale Heart True, nervous, very, very dreadfully nervous I had been and am. But why will you say that I'm mad? The disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled. Above all was the sense of hearing acute. I heard all things in the heaven and in the earth. I heard many things in hell how then am i mad hearken and observe how healthily how calmly i tell you the whole story by this short but helpful introduction we're able to understand that this is an account of later on a murder by a common man who is being regarded as a madman <sighs> so the so you'll ask yourself why why the whole idea itself <coughs> because there is no object no passion in the murder he loved the elder and he had never wronged him he neither insulted him and the youth wasn't after the old man's gold he reckoned it was his eye the old man's eye was like the eye of a vulture a pale blue eye as i read aloud from the paragraph 
with a film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And so by degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Consider the fact yourself. All of us must have seen such an eye once, at least, in a lifetime. And thus we'll be able to relate with how or what this youth was enduring, being he used to work for this old man. Now here the speaker says, You fancy me mad. Madmen know much nothing. But you should have seen me. You should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with what caution, with what foresight, with what dissimulation I went to work. Uh, now, for the next week, the tyrant got much kinder to the tyrannized for the whole week before he killed him. Now, this became a practice every night about midnight during this whole week. He used to turn the latch and open it also gently and then would make an opening sufficient for his head, put in a dark lantern all closed with no light shining out and he would trust in his head. Reading aloud from the prose, I moved it slowly, very, very slowly, so that I might not disturb the old man's sleep. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening so far that I could see him as he lay upon his bed. Ha! Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh so cautiously, cautiously, for the hinges creaked, and I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And I did this for several long nights, every night just at midnight, but I found the eye always closed. So it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. So till now we are able to conclude that he meant to get rid of the eye by stabbing it and therefore blinding him in that eye and not take his life. However, several, especially psychopaths will say, he wanted to kill the whole person altogether because if... He blinded this old man. The other eye would automatically open and would be able to see that it was him who had done the dirty work. So, upon the eighth night, he came more cautiously to the old man's door and opened it much slower 
than what he used to for the past week. And here, he compares his movement with a watcher's mint hand. He says that it moves more quickly than did mine. He continues, Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers of his sagacity. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. To think that there I was, opening the door, little by little, and he not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea, and perhaps he heard me, for he moved on the bed suddenly as if startled. At such conditions, he says that one would have drawn Drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with the dark, with the thick darkness, for the shutters were closed, fastened through fear of robbers. So he knew he could not see the opening of the door, and he kept pushing it on steadily, steadily. And as he was about to open the lantern, the old man sprang up in bed, crying out, Who's there? He kept quite still, answered nothing. For a whole hour, he did not move him enough muscle, and in the meantime, he did not hear him lie down. he heard a slight groan. Considering that brief silence I left, this was that silence that both the old man and the youth or the murderer kept between them for a whole hour. And then came a slight groan, a groan of mortal terror. Mind you, it wasn't a groan of pain or of grief. Oh no, it was the low, stifled sound that arises from the bottom also when overcharged with awe. The murderer was able to relate with this groan He was able to understand that the old man had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise when he had turned in the bed. And his fears had been ever since growing upon him. And as the prose continues, he was trying to calm himself down with useless excuses to himself it is only it's only a mouse crossing the floor it is nothing but the wind in a chimney it is merely a cricket which has made a single chirp yes he was trying to comfort himself with these suppositions but he found all in vain all in vain why so because death in approaching him had stalked with his black shadow before him and 
enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived soul that caused him to feel, although he never saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my hair within the room. After waiting for a long time, of course, uh, of course, the murderer's patience gave way, and he decided to open a mere crevice of the lantern. And coincidentally, at length, a single dim ray-legged thread of the spider shot out from the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open, wide, wide open. And if I quote, grew furious as I gazed upon it, I saw it with perfect distinctness, all a dull blue, with a hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. Marrow in my bones, really. But I could not see nothing else of the old man of the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as by instinct precisely upon the damned spot. Now as he, as this started as this came into view <coughs> there came to his ears a low, dull, quick sound, like a cough, I would come out, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. The cough, if I say so, was of much higher degrees to what this man is describing. So, and this quite increased his fury, as the beating of a drum stimulates a soldier into courage. Even yet he refrained and kept still. Again, psychology students will be able to relate to such cases and give a proper answer to the reason. And he scarcely breathed. He held the lantern motionless, while the beating of the heart increased and he was able to relate to the fact that the old man's terror must have been extreme growing louder and louder every moment and then he kept still this man stayed still right there for several minutes until a new anxiety seized him. The sound would be heard by a neighbor nearby. And with this, with a loud yell, he threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, once only, in an instant he dragged him to the floor and pulled the heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deeds of Adam. And a few minutes passed 
and the muffled beating stopped. The old man, the poor old man, was dead. The man checked for pulsation, there was none. He checked for any signs of breathing, there were none. He tried to look for any movement of any slight movement. Again, there was none. He was stone dead. And the man was comforted by the fact that this man's eye would trouble him no more. Here, the speaker in between this account again addresses the hero which is you if still you think me mad you will think so no longer when i describe the wise precautions i work for the concealment of the body the night waned and i worked hastily but in silence let me describe the way he hid the corpse. He dismembered it, separating the head, the arms, and the legs. He then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited all between the scantlings. Scantlings? They're, we're talking about like a wooden house, or he has a wooden floor. At that point of time, we're talking about 19th century. Then, at that point of time, there were only wooden floors, boards, and three planks were used in this, in the hiding. Scantlings are like spaces under the planks, within which these body parts were hidden away or put away. And he boasts that he did it so cleverly, so cunningly that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. And there was no bloodshed because all blood went straight into a tub. Nothing, no bloodshed. Of course there was bloodshed, but no blood sport. Then to clean. And the tub could be disposed of later on. And when he was done, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight, and at that hour late dark hour the bell sounded and came a knocking at the street he went to open it with a light heart but what had he now to fear there entered three men who introduced themselves with perfect suavity as officers of the police a shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night as i read Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. Information had been lodged at the police office, and their officer had been deputed to search the premises. 
he of course smiled for what he had to fear and bade the gentleman welcome. He replied saying that the shriek was his own in a dream and the old man was absent in the country. He said all this while taking his visitors all over the house. He bade them search. Search well. I led them at length to his chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure and disturbed. In the enthusiasm of my confidence, I brought chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from the fatigues while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot between, beneath which reposed the corpse of the victim. Again, let him spot off psychology. Whenever somebody is lying, look at them straight into the eye. The, the size of the pupil changes. And you'll be able to see that they're lying when they are shifting their gaze from you. Here, however, this man was smart enough to hold on to his conscience and his feelings and be enthusiastic enough to convince the police officers that he was not guilty or that he had done it. sat and while he answered them cheerily they chatted about familiar things but as time went by he paled considerably and wished them gone <coughs> with his head aching and he fancied a ringing in his ears yet they still yet they sat and still chatted this drinking became more distinct for him and continued and became more distinct. To get rid of this noise, he filled his ears with more talk. Now he talked more fluently and with a heightened voice. And yet the sound increased. And what could he do? That's one question that you can answer. It was a low, dull, quick sound, much such a sound as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. This can terrify anybody. What if it's the heart of the old man beating again? This was exactly the same sound that was made when the old man was being suffocated under the bed. Although, in real life, this is hardly possible. Anything is possible when you're in fiction. That's what I always say. He then arose as 
the sound steadily increased. And argued about trifles in a high key and with violent gesticulations, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? He paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides as if excited to fury by the observations of the men, but the noise steadily increased. He now started raving. He foamed. He swore. He swung the chair upon which he had been sitting and grated it upon the boards by the loud by the noise. A rose overall and continually increased. It grew louder, louder, louder! And still the man turned pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they heard not? They suspected. They heard. They knew. They were making a mockery of my horror, as I read from the prose. This I thought and this I think, but anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable than this situation. I could bear this hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt I must scream or die, and now again, hark, louder, 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 louder! He now shrieked, villains, resemble no more. Admit disease. Tear up the planks. Here. Here. It is beating off his hideous heart. And here comes the end of The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. A question arises from the story of antagonism for usually students of psychology. For what reason did this noise arise? Is it a trick being played by his mind? Or is really the heart of the old man start with that started again miraculously? Or must say so, the beating of his own heart, which all four of them could hear. Feel free to answer this question at the question and answer section. And, my dear friends, as I conclude, Please do not forget to stay tuned to the Turn Page Podcast for more such book reviews. And if you ask for my opinion, I yet feel this is a classic that people should read. And this, I must say, is a helpful account on how your conscience or your conscience cannot endure the agony of perjuring or perjury this is me 
Abinice, your host, signing off for today. Goodbye and a happy new year. Do take care.